right, welcome to another episode of Out From The Cube. I'm your host, George Evian, joined with Joe Quinn. And we are fortunate today we got Rick Cottrell with us um, and really excited. Rick and I just met Joe. And, and Joe, you and Rick have known each other for a short amount of time as well, right? Yep, short amount of time. So, Rick, you know, another one of those guests that's super smart, have a lot of great experience. So I'm really excited to have you on our show. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, well, yeah. One of the things I enjoy about our podcast—we uh, just recorded one recently, and I had just met him. Actually, I was running into it. We pressed record within 15 seconds. Didn't know anything about him, and we had a great 45-minute conversation. It's, um, you know, so I do. I kind of like that, um, you know, uh, organic, authentic, uh, you know, uh, conversation that we wind up having with people. So, um, really appreciate uh, Rick you making time for us today, and. I'm really excited about the next hour of learning about you. Why don't you let 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 us know? Let me know uh, who just met you. Uh, you know what what do you what do you do? Uh, and you're from here in the St. Louis area, correct? No, I'm not. I'm from Washington D.C. That's where I grew up. Grew up in Washington D.C. and and you're in the St. Louis area now. How long have you been in the Missouri St. Louis area? Um, I would say it's been now 23 years. We uh, we bought a company in St. Louis. My wife wanted to get close to her family in Lake of the Ozarks. Mm-hmm. I found a failing wholesaling and distribution company that had approximately 500 customers, and we sold it three years ago. It had a, almost 9,000 customers. So oh, wow. uh, we grew it quite a bit, <clears throat> but really the objective was to get my wife closer to her family. Mm. So you went from, like, let's state that again, because uh, maybe that's where we start. Um, you bought this company 23 years ago. You worked on it for 20. You sold it three years ago. And you started with how many customers? Yeah, so <clears throat> we started with about 500 and um, ended up with close to 9,000, 8,800 approximately. Mm. So when, when you bought that company, um, I, I mean, I think you go into those things. Correct me on and, correct me on this. I haven't purchased companies and I know I like to win and I like to figure out what my finish line is. Any team product or whatever that I get involved with, I always try to figure out what winning looks like as early as I can. So when yeah. you bought this company and it's got 500 customers, did you have this vision? Hey, if we if we do X, Y, and Z, like we could do this. Is that how most yeah. entrepreneurs end up rolling this out? I guess you wouldn't buy it if you didn't think it would, you had a chance to win, right? Is But it was, did, did, when you sold it, was that what you had envisioned when you bought it 23 years ago? Um, well, you know, we gave it a 20 year run. So yeah, I mean, I, I dug into it before I would even consider acquiring it. And uh, the, kind of my past is that I, I look for deals and uh, that that have good uh, bones in them, and then uh, in most cases, the requirements are. And this is my motto. <clears throat> my motto is is that I don't care what you sell or do, provided you have a market for it. But you need a sales and marketing machine. If you don't have a sales and marketing machine, you really can't um, develop full potential out of it. And so I walked into that deal. Good product. You know, they were their core values were strong, but they just did not know how to take it to the next level. And that's kind of that's kind of what I look for when I'm in the market to buy companies. Hmm. And this and so we'll go back a little bit. So you ended up here for 23 years. Do you, do you consider yourself now a, a St. Louisan? You still consider yourself kind of a D.C. guy? 
and after I'm, 23 I'm still, years. I, I consider myself an East Coast person. You still consider <laughs> So my wife considers herself a Missouri person. Oh, oh a split household. Great. <laughs> oh, she does. Yeah. yeah, okay. She's from the, so a little bit of a split household. So um, tell me a little bit about this. The, what are you involved in now? Because when I was, when I did a, a brief, uh, you know, review of, of you coming on our show, um, EOS kept coming up. And, I, yeah. and I, I'm curious about the EOS and what that is and, and your involvement with that. Um, cause it seemed real relevant and top of mind on your, on your profile. Yeah. So, um, I have, um, implemented the entrepreneurial operating system in all of the businesses I participated in. And, um, basically it's a structure, it's four building blocks in a company. One of them is a strong operating foundation and EOS for me, check the box on that one. Uh, the other three building blocks are. Uh, right people and resources, okay, right people in the right seats and the resources necessary mm -hmm. to grow a business. Uh, the, the third one is a dynamic roadmap, okay, building a roadmap of scalability. Mm -hmm. And then number one, the top of the pyramid, if you will, is uh, prioritize leadership. I mean, you got to have good leaders to grow a, a, a great company. And, and so wow. that's been my... Uh, that's been kind of the four basic building blocks, not of nutrition, but of, I guess, nutrition of growing a business. And so uh, the entrepreneurial operating system is very simple, easy to implement and gets results fast. And so, um, you know, I, I'm very bullish about that. And uh, so after we sold the last company, I thought, well, heck, let me help other companies uh, by helping them implement EOS. And that's kind of what I've been doing over the last three years. And then now I'm in a new venture. Um, you know, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make them drink. Well, I need to make them drink. So I had to jump back into the, into the business ownership pool again. And so that's where I'm at now. Yeah, I, I think I, I, and this is my perspective. I don't know everything you do, but when you think about entrepreneurship, I'm thinking about buying and selling companies and you go in and you have these four pillars and this is what we're going to focus on and all that. I'm, I work for a company um, that is, you know, we're, I work for a company that is a global company and has thousands and thousands of employees and is doing amazing uh, work in the medical field, uh, medical space and everything you just mentioned without question, I'm, I, I, we've got to dig into each one of those building blocks because each one of those is it has to be a foundation for the company i work for and the teams that i'm running like right off the bat when you started talking about um roadmap if you if you saw me smile i was like man i've been in meetings all morning about how to develop great roadmaps how to figure out how what we're doing impacts other people in the team, uh, in the company, how we can be synchronized. And then you start talking about um, the leadership portion to all that. Like, could, and I hate to have you do this again, but could you quickly go over all four of those again so I can make sure I get them in my notes and for the people that are listening to this can make sure they get them in their notes again as well? Yeah, so the, the, the base, the, the, the foundation is a strong operating foundation, right? And that's right. the business operating system. That's not tech, it's holistic, right? And so okay. there's EOS, you know, the great game of business, there's scaling up, there's, you know, a myriad of these things. And um, I landed on EOS because it was simple, very logical in its interpretation, and you can distribute it throughout the company regardless of 
intellectual capacity. And mm. so I, I found that to be very useful. Um, and motivations, you know, people are motivated differently. And so the next one is the right people and resources. Right. Okay, so right people and putting them in the right seats. And then that's tied to uh, a whole foundation uh, on its own of, you know, function before people, having your, <clears throat> your functional description developed, what are the key roles that individual, uh, that seat is going to have to per do perfectly. What are the measurables that are, that are going to drive those key roles? Because you need to be able to measure and make them accountable. And then underneath all of that, you need a stable performance measurement system, which um, is not a punitive thing. It's a remediation process. Or, you know, if you have the right people and they're in the right seats, all you're really trying to do now is develop them, right? And mm. so that's the that's the whole you know, undercurrent of that side and then the right resources, you know, is real simple. Do you have enough capital? You know, do you have connectivity with an all-star team? You know, somebody that knows business law effectively, CPA and financials, insurance, all of that stuff. And what I found is, is that most companies, you know, they reach out to a, a specialist or, or expertise when they're in, you know, when they're in a jam. You know, so you got to have this stuff in place up front. The third one is dynamic roadmap. And what I'm talking about there is business intelligence. So um, it's a very underutilized um, area of business, especially in the small mid-sized companies. I mean, you know, heck, you couldn't, you know, they couldn't answer a question about what are the numbers that drive your business. So you build a scalability model from that. Very simple example is, you know, if you're going to grow to X number of dollars in October of 21, how many of these do you need? How many of those do you need? How much mm. of that do you need? I mean, so you want to be ahead of the curve as it relates to your, your scalability. That's what that means. But there's another part to that, guys, that is critical too, and that is the why of the of the entrepreneur. You know, why are you doing this? I mean, if you're doing it for a job, then get a job. If you're doing it for some purpose, then define the purpose. Otherwise, you muddle through life in this business, and then at the end of the day, you're looking at yourself going, what have I really accomplished? So that's the roadmap. It's both you know, entrepreneurial road, entrepreneurial roadmap, but it's also the business roadmap. And it has to be dynamic, ever-changing, and evergreen. Then the top of the list is the uh, properly prioritized leadership. Do, do you have your ducks in a row? Do you know, you know, what you want out of this thing? And um, there are several attributes in there that you need to have squared up. Like profit can't be number one. You know, it's profits coming out of other things that you're doing as a leader to help develop your business, charismatic, as that, that as that may sound. And then that also ties to the emotional intelligence. You know, some people uh, need to understand what effect they have on their people when they're with them. And a lot of leaders just don't have that They're ego driven. Uh, it's all about me. You know, um, I'm only doing this for the money, you know, that type of stuff. So anyway, those are those four things that I've kind of broken them out a little bit for you there. 
when you when you talk about um, you know the ego stuff, you know, we've had some lengthy conversations about that. When you talk about and and, the, and I'm, I'm I'm not using your exact words, but I I had this phrase uh, used on our podcast before. In the athletic world, you can never win enough, and in business, it, it can't be about wins, right? It can't be about winning in terms of athletics, and then in in business, it can't be about the dollar. Right. And you kind of mentioned that, that it can't be kind of about that bottom line. So when you were running your businesses, what was kind of the, the purpose and the values and what were the foundations that you built that made sure, I guess, that the dollar and the profits weren't like the, the most important thing to you and your company? OK, so just to be open, honest and transparent yeah. with you, there was a period of time where it was about me and uh, that was a mistake I made. And so it hurt the culture of the company. Yeah, you know, I could buy anything I wanted, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, the, you know, he did things that I probably wouldn't have done. And I think that comes with experience to some extent. But, you know, basically it's um, things like, you know, do it right the first time, do the right thing. Um, you know, treat your people well, uh, set up an environment that helps them be the best person they can possibly be, regardless of if they stay with you or not. Mm. Um, you know, just, you know, helping first, right? Giving back. And that was a learned thing. That wasn't something that I did immediately. I was all about that. I was a capitalist and uh, I still am sort of, but, you know, now I meter it with, um, you know, you got, you got to balance that stuff. It can't all be about winning at any cost. So, Rick, are you comfortable sharing, like, what, what was the aha moment or yeah, maybe it was the yeah. feedback that you give? Like, when, when what made you decide to, to switch, to change? Well, my uh, um, mentor, a gentleman by the name of Sam Cup in Detroit, Michigan, we started mm -hmm. a company together up there. And, uh, you know, our company grew pretty quickly. And, um, you know, I remember, I remember, um, you know, having a conversation with him and his, his comment to me was, man, this is, you know, we got to start, it can't just be about the money because what you're doing is, you know, I'd go through the organization with a sword and just start lopping people's heads off, you know, because they weren't fulfilling my expectation. Mm -hmm. But you need all of those kinds of people in the organization. And I, the, the moment of truth came, I was walked out on stage to talk to our team and I couldn't believe how many people were in this place. And, um, you know, that kind of hit me there that, you know, these are all people with families and kids and stuff. And, you know, what have I been doing? Um, so that was kind of an aha moment for me, you know, kind of tying it back to what Sam had told me like a day before and now mm -hmm. seeing it actually come to fruition with this group of people that depended on me. I mean, you know, they, you know, they depended, they trusted and they were loyal and they worked hard and, and here I was, you know, um, just worrying about the balance sheet. Mm. So when you walk off that stage and you have this moment of, man, I, I need to change, you know, maybe some habits and uh, maybe some language and, uh, you know, and the way I'm leading a little bit was that I would have to think after all those years, that's not an easy, that's not an easy change. It's not an abrupt change that. So how did you kind of 
coach yourself? How did you kind of counsel yourself? Like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make some shifts here. Was it like you sitting down with your wife and saying, Hey, I'm going to make like, I'm considering this, this isn't working for me anymore. And here's what I'm considering and just getting feedback on her. And if that is something that you weren't comfortable doing, like that, that type of leadership and, 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 and motivating and inspiring and leading, um, where did you go for that mentoring? Was it just consuming content? Was it somebody uh, that was supporting you in those changes and giving you some strategies and tactics? Because um, I'm guessing that's that's a significant shift. And I'm curious yeah. on how you kind of made that shift and you, because it, it clearly worked for you. You still were very successful um, with that shift, but how, how did you manage that shift? So um, of course, you know, uh, and I promote, everybody do this but i listened to you know back in the early days you know they didn't have audible <laughs> so it would be reading or using oh, right of, of all things like containing myself you know whatever form of tapes whatever form of mechanism to develop the skill and listen to other people's experiences but the person my wife was really the one so we made an agreement that she would remind me when I went into it's all about me mode. And um, it took a while to get over that. But I will tell you when you're out, when you're over it and you're sitting there listening to somebody that is in it, like does it, mm -hmm. it just sounds so foolish. And I, one night we were driving back and you know, it was, we were with somebody and it was one of these deals where he says, uh, well, first of all, let me tell you a little bit about myself. And then when I'm done, I want you to tell me about myself, you know, one of those guys, <laughs> you know, and so we were driving home and we were driving home and I said, did I sound like that? And she said, yeah, it was embarrassing. And I'm thinking, no. oh crap, man, that, <laughs> that is not good. So that was an eye opener for me. And to, to this day, I find it fascinating because sometimes you'll pop into a group like that and, um, and hear that and just kind of, oh my God, it just mm. reminds you of how much time you wasted worrying about that kind of stuff versus what was important. Mm. Well, we definitely appreciate you sharing your experience on this. Cause I mean, that's yeah. one of the things that we try to do on this podcast is really teach, you know, George and I've shared uncomfortable learnings and failures that we've had and there's been oh, plenty, yeah. but you know, the real intent is, is, you know, how do we, how do we get better? How do we kind of learn from that moment? And ideally, hopefully somebody learns at a younger age than what, what we've learned at that. Right. Yeah, right. So, yeah. Um, Right. Yeah, so in, in EOS, they're one of their core values, mm -hmm. the Entrepreneurial Operating System mm -hmm. Worldwide, the parent company of EOS, one of their core values is be humbly confident. And I think that's pretty much mm -hmm. on target. Yes. Be humbly yes. confident. Yeah, we were talking about that earlier. And a gentleman I listen to every day, Ed Milet, who runs a, a, a business podcast, and he had a great gentleman on that was talking about yeah. – yeah, there's, you got to figure that this guy was an athlete or he gave an athletic example, but when you're playing the game, you are super confident. Like you're going to knock it out. You're going to win, but you need to know, Hey, when I'm not playing, when I'm learning, when I'm practicing, when I'm trying to uh, get mentorship from somebody, I'm super humble. I'm just tra trying to take it all in, develop and try to figure out other habits and strategies and rituals and routines that I can take along. But when it comes time to play, it's on. And I'm about to show everybody how damn good I am and I'm going to knock it out. Um, so, I mean, it's, but it is that fine line between that. I, there's a gentleman that lives, 
on the other side of my unfinished wall on the next neighborhood over, who's a very good friend of mine. His name's Joe as well. And uh, he's retired. He's uh, in his 70s and looks like he's in his mid 50s. He just in great has taken great care of himself. Um, and he got emotional with me one day. He was a CTO of a pretty well-known company here in St. Louis. And we were reflecting back on his time. And he, he just looked at me and got emotional, got teary-eyed a little bit. And he was like, I wish I hadn't have been so hard on people. I just wish I had just cared a little bit more. And that's my, and, and it bothered him that much, that many, that many years, you know, and he had retired, but all that time he had spent of just driving people and, and not treating people maybe the way that he wishes he had in retirement. And it really bothered him. It really bothered him. So again, appreciate that experience. Um, the, the right people in the right in the right seats is interesting to me because there's a there's a, a book I believe uh, uh, by John Gordon the Energy Bus and talking about making sure we have the right people on the bus and I think we've all heard that phrase before you know just get the right people on the bus and the idea though that expands upon that is making sure you have the right people but get them in the right seats on the bus right we can and and I always appreciated kind of that spin on that and. But that's one of these tenets of the EOS is, you know, the right people in the right seats on the bus. And um, it's a hard thing for companies to do. Is it? It's, it's hard to find those people. It's hard to find them in the right seats. Is it? And it's equally as hard. I, this is my question, I guess, to get them off the bus, right? To make sure like, hey, you're on the bus, but yeah, there's no seat for you anymore on this bus. And we got to get rid uh, find a find another bus for you to get on. I mean, all of that is really difficult. Finding the right people giving them the right role, having them really excel in that role and maybe getting people off the bus. You know, can you speak on maybe those three things on how difficult each one of those things are in building yeah, a great so, company? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, the, the right person is somebody that's going to sync up to your core value set. That's, mm. that's the definition of the right person. Right. Uh, and so alignment, alignment with the value set of the of the company or. Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah, like, right, uh, love I it. mean, love it. to be very basic, you know, it's uh, do the right thing, for example. Well, there's a you know, in, in, in terms of a simple on, onboarding process, you can get you can ask some questions that get to the get to the end result of that. So but in generic sense. The right person is somebody that is exhibits or will exhibit your um, core values if you onboard them into the company. So theoretically, if you've done a decent job of that, uh, the other side benefit to that is, and you know, uh, Jim Collins, good to great, really brought this yeah. out, but um, but on the other side of that coin is your core values. If they don't align with them. <clears throat> they will repel, they will go away from your company. So you don't have to worry about that if you utilize the core values as kind of the onboarding platform for the right person. So let's pretend that you've got the right person. And then the right seat is, you know, you've got this definition of key roles for the function that theoretically they would be placed in that seat. And those key roles are going to have measurables built around them and that's the missing link with most companies because they they can either the key roles are so vague, you know. I just saw one the other day, and when I looked at it, I'm like, oh my god! I mean, it was um, 
must have an organized desk. Okay, well, good luck measuring that. Okay, so, mm -hmm. so the point is, is that when you have the key roles defined and you connect the measurables, the accountability to those key roles, you don't have to worry about getting rid of somebody if you've made a mistake. They'll get rid of themselves. Yeah. And so it. that's really the tie down for right people, right seats. And 85% um, of the problems in companies are people. I mean, that's a reality. And so most organizations are afraid to have the healthy conflict that is required for the people that are in the company that are in the wrong seats or they're the wrong people. But theoretically, if you're onboarding that way, then all we're talking about is uh, developing somebody up to a higher level of performance. So it's more remedial and, and development based versus punitive. Does that make sense? It, it, it does. Um, the question I'm thinking about is, yeah, and I love it. And I, I, I really love the idea because you have me thinking, I'm actually being tasked with my company. We are building two or three new teams. Um, it's very complicated software, so we have to find the right technical people. It's very complicated software. And um, and they're asking me to find these, uh, to do like the kind of the fit. Is like, like the, is it the fit interview? Like, does this person really fit in with the culture and all that? But you have me thinking about the values. Like, we've got to do a better job of making sure that when we hire, we know what we, where we stand, what we stand for, what we're looking for, what are those absolutes uh, that we're looking for because to be honest with you I, I'm not I, you have me thinking like right when this calls over I've got to ping a few people and say hey I'm being tasked with this and this and you bring up a great point about that intersection between our values to find the good the right people and just getting clarity on what our values are now you could say it's it's a bad spot that I that I'm sitting here saying I don't know I'm not sure where we hang our hat on certain things as values because you would want a company, I'm guessing, to be able to have everybody rattle off what we stand on, right? And there should we should all know those absolutes. And so you're triggering some change and some conversation that I'd like to have with some executives with our company. What about finding the right people and there's not a seat for them? and creating and, and helping them find if you find now listen i mean you could find great people like you could say hey rick george you george you're in line with everything that we value but you're missing skills certain skills like there's no seat for you on this bus but aren't there situations where you get really good people that fit the values they're the right people for your bus but maybe you just got to build a seat for them you just got to like, hey, just go, you know, sit, sit in the aisle and just lay down because we're going to find stuff for you. You're exactly what we need to move us forward. Have you, do you have those people? And, and, and what's the best way to kind of get those people to, to stay on the bus? So, um, so I'll answer that this way. Um, you know how the NFL, right? There's, <clears throat> there's free agency in the draft and you're always looking to improve a position. So if I can find somebody that um, will help the scalability of the organization, right? You're always on the lookout for talent upgrades. Um, and the only reason you would go down that path is if you felt like somebody in the organization, um, I'll, I'll characterize it like this. If we're 10 million, just for numbers sake, if we're 10 million and we want to get to 20, 
the question of the leadership team, I'm going to have a meeting this Thursday about this. I mean, are you $20 million people? Mm, I like that. You know what I mean? So are you hundred million dollar people? Mm. Because it's up to you. We'll give you all the tools you need, but you have to want to be better. And so if you're not a $20 million person, I'm going to have to bring one into the organization. I love it. I absolutely love that. And here's what you, here's what you have me thinking and I cut you off. Sorry. Mm -hmm. One of the gentlemen I listened to, I love this. I love the story and this is what you have me thinking. And this is actually for me, I take this as business and my own personal development. There's thermostats and, and thermometers and a thermostat changes the temperature and a thermometer is just going to tell you where you're at. Right. And this idea of what are you? And, and you always will go back to kind of that temperature where you're comfortable. So if it's 10 million and I'm and I'm and then that is where I set my thermostat and that's where I'm always comfortable. And you're going to roll in and say, George, we're capable of more. And you roll that sucker up to 20 million. Right. And that's just uncomfortable for me. I don't think I belong there. I'm not equipped for it. I don't have the skill set for it. I the re, whatever it is. And you're saying one, one, we have to feel like we're capable of that, of, of playing it. And it's this idea of like in me and my personal life, I'm here, but I want to be up here. But when I do have those moments of up here, I always kind of go back to where I'm comfortable instead of having a support system of a Rick and a Joe that will mentor me to say, Hey, George, you're capable of this. Like, and, and we're going to hold you accountable to playing at that level of playing. If you're at a 72, we're going to get you to 82. Right. But you, you kind of look at that as a business, like, okay, like we're scaling the sucker and we're getting to 20. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're a 20 million player, right. And if not, right. I've got, and if, if not, I got plenty of them. I absolutely love that right well, now. Do you try to coach them up to be that player? Or do you just say, Hey, you're not like, you wouldn't say it that way. You wouldn't say, Hey, you're not capable, but like yeah. your, your job is to grow that business and get the players in there that can raise the, the temperature gauge of that building. Yeah. And so the, um, the great part about, you, you know, if you, if you create the opening for people, it, they are, they have a choice to go into that void, go into that opening and accelerate their capacity or they have a choice not to do that. Mm. And so, um, you know, the objective is if you've got the right people, meaning they exhibit your core value set, then um, <clears throat> you're obligated to try to develop them. But the beautiful thing about this approach is that they will self-deselect. So it's not going to be you saying it. It's going to be them saying it. Mm. I would have to think, Rick, that often you, you know, when you're coming into companies that that's probably a fairly common problem. You know, the company started off fairly small. Now it's grown. We've doubled in size over the last 10 years, but you haven't doubled your capability in the last 10 years. I would have to think, I mean, I don't know, you tell me, is that pretty much a problem as you're kind of coming in and evaluating some of these utilizing the EOS model? I would have to think that's a big problem. Yeah, so um, one of my, um, you know, one of the things that I'm not shy about is I'm very direct about this stuff. And, and so mm -hmm. it's because, you know, I'm being asked and, and in my personal thing, I'm, I'm, I'm on a mission to, to grow the business. And, you know, that 
is all four parts of that foundational model. So the people are going to get taken care of. It isn't like a slash and burn model, mm -hmm. but the, but, you know, specifically if I walk into a business and they have the leadership, first of all, you know, when, when a business owner selects people that are going to be part of their leadership team, you know, the selection processes are things like, I don't know, he's breathing air and he's in the marketing <laughs> area. He must be our marketing leader, you know, whatever. Uh, but, yep. you know, so there's a lot of that going on at the beginning. And so we, you know, there's a, there's leadership development, you know, let's get everybody baseline. And once we're baseline, you know, the ball's in your court now to develop yourself and become the person that the organization needs. Leaving ego aside, let's just let's all work together and collaborate to grow the business. And um, you know, it's not uncommon to have somebody raise their hand and go, you know, I don't think I'm right for, I don't, I don't think I'm one of these people. And so that's the beautiful thing about it. There's no harm, no foul. Nobody gets, you know, summarily discharged. I mean, it's just all, it's all a part of this, um, um, you know, this process where people come to that realization on their own primarily. Mm. Yeah, I would think that would happen a lot, especially as you're, you know, laying out roles, responsibilities, and really kind of doing that. I think people probably start to see the writing on the wall that mm, maybe this, maybe this isn't the right. Mm. You know, if we go do all these things that EOS says to go do, I may not be the right person to lead this, is because this is beyond my, beyond my capabilities. Right, and you know, EOS isn't really the be all end all on this deal, sure. but they, but they do. You know the data. The data component does promote measurability. They need to have measurables. The minute you institute accountability, like real accountability, I'm not talking about you know bring your lunch back, you know lunch to work every day, check in at eight, clock out at five. You know that that's not accountability. Accountability is, you know, am I am I hitting my measurables? Am I am I exceeding my measurables? You know, those are the things and, you know, there's different layers, right? So the, the initial layer is, holy crap, now somebody's going to be judging me. I can't be a part of this. Boom, I'm gone. Or I'm going to give it a shot. Maybe I can't, I can't be developed to do that. And I'll acquiesce and, and I'll be somebody that, you know what, I gave it my best shot. I just don't think I'm the right person for that seat. Mm. And so it works itself out. It's really a very interesting thing. There are no hurt feelings. It's just a, it's a reality of it. And, um, you know, my job in that role, be it my own company here or elsewhere, you know, I have to keep moving the ball down the field. And everybody understands that. They always have to be moving with me. Mm. I might not word this question correctly. Um, but you have me thinking of standards and when you take these over and going from 10 to 20 to 50 or whatever it is. Um, and my mind is thinking that you play at a higher level than other people and your standards are much higher. And that might be a reason why you're as successful in, in this world as 
as, as you can be or as other people are, or uh, that you're more successful than them. Because you could take that $10 million company and roll in, do a quick evaluation of it. And you could say, you know what? I don't play at this $10 million level. You know, it's like taking a great basketball player. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't roll with winning five or six games a year. Like, and I'm better than that. And my standards are higher in terms of my work ethic and my passion and my commitment and my standards. Like I'm, I'm going to, we're going to be a 25 win team and it's going to take time, but we're going to get to 25 to 30 wins because that's how I roll. That's just exactly how I play. And I don't think one, I don't think you probably get involved with companies. You didn't feel that, you know, had, had that commitment to, to, to ride, to ride with you to 20 or 50 million. Um, just like Jordan wouldn't go play on a team with a bunch of knuckleheads that don't want to win a championship. Right. But you, you play like you, you, maybe over time of 23 years in the company that you mentioned earlier, that your standards just like, this is the level I play at. Right. And every, uh, you got to ride along with me or this isn't going to work out. I mean, is, is there, is that a fair assumption of maybe your mindset? Like, your standards are pretty high, I'm guessing. Yeah, and, and it's only because, um, you know, if we're going to create our target and we need to develop the infrastructure to support that target, um, it takes commitment. And, you know, one of the reasons, just to like throw it out there, but one of the reasons why you know, I wanted to dabble in this EOS stuff is because I wanted to see how other companies reacted to that kind of um, messaging. And um, you're right, George, if, if the per if there wasn't commitment to do it, then I didn't, I, I didn't want to engage because it would have been a waste of money for them and a waste of my time. And that's not what I'm interested in. But the other side of the coin is, um, is that if you build this scalable architecture for your business, the top line number can be whatever the heck you want it to be. So when somebody says, um, well, we want to be 20 million in five years, my first response is why not a hundred? You know, why yeah, not? Love it. Right. Uh, you know, because if you've got the scalability developed, you know, there are requirements in terms of resources, you know, maybe you need capital, you know, you're going to have to have more people. It's going to become more complex, but once you have it, scalable why what you know why set your sights so low i mean you can make it as big as you want to make it it's amazing how many how many businesses entrepreneurs i've dealt with that that um created this superficial ceiling that i don't even know where they got it right. like they can't tell me why they got it or why they picked it yeah it has no relevance and I, I, I'm also looking at that as just personal development, man, boy, do we just do that to ourselves too? just not business and making money, just what we're capable of just in our lives. Like we put the ceiling on like, and that's that thermometer temperature thing. Like, Hey, I'm comfortable at 72 and that's all I'm, I, I kind of want it there. Sometimes it gets a little higher or lower, but I always equal out at 72. Like you're sitting there saying, man, we are just capable of more in business and in our personal lives. And we've got to raise our standards. How did you raise your standards? How did you go from, owning this company was it just time and experience or did you just kind of have you always played at a high level and expected and had standards higher than most people as you you know personally and and with business or is that something that just came with you know through wisdom and experience and time well it's more of a i discovered this when i was very very young um so you know i 
so go with me on this for a minute. So yeah. I, my, I, I categorize myself as unemployable, meaning I cannot work for somebody. I, you know, it's virtually impossible. For me to do that. So I'm an unemployable individual. And so I got to do my own thing. And so what I discovered was I started putting limits on myself and, you know, we were achieving those limits maybe. But at the end of the day, you know, Jim Rohn, I don't know if you're familiar with, you know, he's passed away now, but he's kind of a motivational speaker. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in his, in, in, when you re read his stuff, um, you, you know, it's all about, there is really no ceiling. <laughs> it's whatever you want it to be. And if your mind is, if your mind fixes on something that's extreme in your mind, unachievable, you can get a lot closer to it than you would have if you were mm. sitting there thinking, oh, no, that'll never happen for me. You know, it's about, it's about opportunity and taking advantage of those openings when you can and not having a ceiling be connected to it. So I learned that young and then, mm. then built data systems around the, uh, the built metrics and conversions statistics and all of the things that you need to drive to those numbers. And you just manage to those numbers. Mm. You just manage to them. Yeah. Well, well, two last questions. I know we're, we, uh, we're closing in on our 45 minute time. We've got about five minutes left. I'm, yeah. I'm curious as, um, the, the performance reviews, I, I know that's not necessarily the phrase that you used, um, but not punitive, but really in development. And, that's a, that's a, that's an interesting, and I really like how you phrase that, but it, I, I've always struggled with that stuff because my mindset has always been, you know, like, Hey, I'm going to have a bunch of stuff placed on me to drive business, right? To drive business, to drive the dollar. And maybe, and I've been through enough of these and I've had these conversations. I'm like, these, these really need to be organized in a way to develop. So people think we really, people know, not that they think, uh, and that there's some other motive to it. Yeah. I think if we develop our people and they reach things that uh, help them develop and lead and get to the next uh, part of their uh, career, this other stuff should happen, right? This other, you know, the other wins should come along, but I've never really felt that way. I've never worked at a place where I felt it wasn't just about driving the dollar and, and driving some of that stuff as opposed to my development. How, how hard is that to tell? What is the language that is used to, to really make people feel like, you know what, Rick's not worried about, you know, this quarter and the dollars. He actually wants me to do X, Y, and Z so I can have more responsibility, you know, maybe get, you know, uh, further develop, uh, be able to contribute more, uh, be happier here, um, things of that nature. What's the language or the, the strategies to that language to, to make people feel that way? So I think that, um, so here's, here's, uh, <laughs> here's what I will tell you. If you operate on trust and trust is based on an individual in the organization understanding what their key roles are, what they need to be good at, perfect at, and you have measurables that are connected to that, and you have the right people in those seats, theoretically, you can let go of the, of the vine, as, the, as Gina Wickman says, you can let go of the vine because theoretically now those people are going to manage themselves to those metrics which frees up your time to worry about whether or not they're getting them done, right? And so the cool part about it is the measurables are absolute. 
they aren't gray, they're black and white, so you know what they are. And then your conversations with the people are more about, hey, um, how can I help you achieve your and exceed your measurables? What obstacles or barriers do I need to eliminate in order for that to happen? And you, you put the accountability on the folks to have them come up with their improvement game plan. It's not, it's like going into a, an evaluation and, and you're asked to rate, you know, how, how uh, your, um, your listening skills were on a scale of one to five and, you know, that crazy stuff about, well, I rated mine a five. Well, I rated it a two. Now let's have a conversation about that. How much time is wasted on that BS? You, you know what I mean? I, I mean, it's just uh, what, it, what it's all about is, hey, let's sit down for five minutes. Here are the five, here are our core values. How do you think you exhibit those core values? Here are the five key roles. How do you think you, uh, how do you think you're doing achieving the five key roles? And then the measurables are what they are, you know? Um, and so it becomes a trust-based model versus, um, a punitive and i can't tell you how many companies ask that question you know and they go uh well do you think we should have a three strike rule and i go well if you have a three strike rule you don't have the right people in the company and they're probably not in the right seats mm. right you are direct right you just get i love it no it is it's absolutely it's, it's absolutely true but you but you are brought in and you are hired to have those conversations and be that direct. You like, yeah. that's, that's what you do. Like, you know, it's, it may be a different conversation if you're employed there and, and working there and all that. But if you're actually being brought in to counsel and correct and give feedback and all that, you have to be direct. And like, you hired me for this, right? Like if you're, yeah, if people are rolling with three strikes, you got the wrong people. Like, and let's move on and figure this out. Yeah. Cause you can, I mean, anybody right now, they could pick three people in an organization they were in or are in as the wrong people in the company, you know, the subterfuge, the cultural toxicity, mm -hmm. all of that stuff. It's pretty easy to write those those names down. Everybody knows who they are. Good news is everybody knows who they are in the company too. It's not a mystery. <laughs> um, it, it's more of a function of, you know, we've got to add some level of accountability, which truly fixes those problems. And, and that's where, you, you know, healthy conflict does not become part of the part of the process. And it's, mm -hmm. it's usually, oh my God, I'm going to wait until Monday to have that conversation. You, you know, and then Monday turns into next Friday. You know, I mean, it's just never. Yeah. Happens, right? Now I know we're just having a conversation here and, and don't know each other. Well, there, there's a, a story that I've told a few times where in my coaching days, we were working with some uh, young athletes. There were four of us and there was a disagreement between two of the coaches and they got into it. Like, and the players weren't around. The young athletes weren't around. It was just four coaches of us just kind of giving a retrospective on the evening's practice. And we were just talking. And two of the coaches had a disagreement. And they got into it. One was a little bit more timid and one was very loud and getting after the other person. And I always remember the, the coach saying, the gentleman saying, who's a friend of mine still to this day, I'm not afraid of having this type of conversation. I'm not. And I, I remember sitting back and I wasn't involved in this. I was just taking it all in. And I was like, I have a problem with it. I like, like I don't. And I, I bring that up because you, you don't seem like you're afraid when you, and I wish we had more time where we could talk about healthy conflict and healthy confrontation and things like that. Cause it is good. It is good to get after that 
and to not be afraid to have those conversations. Right. And most people are. And and I'm and I, I put myself in that camp like I, I'm getting better at it. I'm getting better at having those type of conversations, but it's not in my uh, DNA to enjoy it or think it's OK. But 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 I feel like you have that have that in you. Like you're not afraid to have those conversations. No. And, and so we run an assessment. Uh, we run some assessments on communication style. And so the reason I'm, that I'm, I make everybody, even in my organizations, this company here, I mean, everybody has taken one because you can have those honest, uh, open, honest and transparent conversations. But the way the person interprets the data, you have to couch that in, in a way that's most effective for them to understand what you're saying. So you can't, you know, it's like if somebody is an analytic type individual that's very to the, you know, to themselves, they're not real outgoing. You can't just jump down their throat. You know, you've got to have, you got to say the right stuff in order to make that interaction more effective. And so mm. that's a caveat that, we didn't talk about is you need to understand what makes them tick before you can have that conversation. Yeah. And it, 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 it alters how, how that directness is couched. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one last question. We'll let you go. And we really do appreciate your time. This has been great, Rick. Um, no we we've ended a number of our episodes this way. And I really kind of like this question. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm really bent on the word celebrate this year and making sure that we celebrate um, and celebrate with people um, some of the wins that we have in our life. So I, I don't know, this may not be the best way to ask this question, but if you were to finish this sentence for me of saying, George, the thing that I am most proud of that I was a, that I led is blank and professionally, what would you be most proud of that you were responsible for? Well, this is a personal thing. Okay. So, um, one of the things, and I'll couch it this way, one of the things about St. Louis that really I, you know, I was surprised about because we brought our kids down here, right? They were little. And so one of the things that I think I'm proud of is we brought our kids up with good values mm -hmm. and, um, and to see that as their they're millennials, by the way. <laughs> so I got, I got it. There's a filter I have to go through here, but mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, just to see them, uh, you know, develop themselves as adults now um, is, I think, the biggest success. Mm. Mm. Let me ask one last question because I'm curious with this. Somebody asked me this the other day, and I absolutely loved it. If your kid, when your kids were younger, somebody told me this, I don't know. And these are all numbers that you can do anything with, but by the time our children are 18 and leave and go off to college, we've spent essentially 95% of our time has been used up face to face with our children. I don't know if that's true in terms of percentages, but I understand the point, like from zero to 18, 95% of our face to face time with our children is there. Then they leave and we've got the rest of their lives, the rest of our lives, 5% is left. And I get that. It kind of hurt my heart a little bit, but but I get it. Right. But somebody was asking me, like, what would be one of the last things for them to walk out that door to go off to college and you only get five percent? What would be one last thing you would say to your children to carry them on for that, for that, you know, the rest of their time? But when you brought up your children, had me thinking about that time, you know, bringing your kids here and then they're now they're adults and they're out. What are, what are, what would be one thing like with your experiences and what you've learned running businesses, turning businesses around and life in general, that if you could say one last thing as your children go out, 
to, to prepare them for the battles of life would you want them to know about? Well, I would say that do what you're great at and you love to do, regardless mm. of any pressures you may feel. Mm. Love it. Love it. Joe, I've never asked you that question. You've got four children. What would be the one thing you'd roll out with your children as they walk out that door? Uh, you're talking every day. Like, what do they roll out with? What do I roll out with? No, no. When they, when they leave, when they leave, when they leave and they go off and live their lives away from the Quinn household. Mm -hmm. And if you could give them one sage advice to carry them on to, to confront life with, what would you want them to know? Uh, to I don't know. I mean, the thing that I do now, and I don't really know if it would change. I mean, just do your best and treat people good. I mean, that's, that's literally, I try to keep it pretty simple, you know, yeah. like whatever you do, I don't care what it is, whether it's a, if you're dedicating X amount of time to it, do the best that you can do and uh, treat people good. That's yeah. really, yeah. I mean, I talk a lot about making an impact in, on people. So that's kind of my motto that yeah. I don't, I don't anticipate that I guess changing for me. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Well, Rick, I've really, I've loved this conversation. Yeah, Rick, really, really have. It's been good stuff. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Rick, mm -hmm. how can people get connected with you or, is there a social media platform that you use? Is there, uh, are you, I, I'm guessing you're on LinkedIn. That's where I got your information. Yeah. Yeah. So LinkedIn and then um, my company bizresults.com uh, is out there too, but LinkedIn, just send me a message. Great. And um, all the information about EOS is on his profile, but also it's a name. I didn't ask you about the name of your company. It's, it's biz what? Results.com, bizresults.com. Yeah. I'll make yeah. sure all that's in our show notes. Really appreciate that hour with you. We've gone a little over, but that was, um, I really appreciate your time. There's a lot, like the whole thing, this was very selfish on my end um, on why we started this podcast two or three years ago. And it was just to, you know, to continue to, I wanted to just learn from people. I wanted to try to figure out how I could learn from people like Rick and Joe and other people that we've had on so I can make my teams better, my family better, my personal life better and challenge myself. And so Rick, a lot of what you've said today um, will go in our show notes and, and go in my own personal notes because there's things for me to get better personally. But man, we can do better with our teams. And I'm, I am. I'm going to get off this. I'm going to ping one of my close friends at work, and we're going to talk about hiring. We're going to talk about the right people, the right seats, and we're going to talk about our values. You know, mm -hmm. and making sure that we find those people because I think that's just uh, we need. Uh, I think that's gold, right? I think that you gave me a lot of clarity on what those right people are and what they look like. Mm -hmm. um, but you also just cemented in my head like we've got to have absolute clarity as a company on what those are, so we so we know. So we know every single day what, what those are. And so we can live up to those values and have a better, a better environment for everybody to work in. So Rick, I really appreciate that time today. And, uh, and, you know, and I'll make sure that everybody has uh, the, the, his LinkedIn information and his company website are in our show notes. Thanks again, Joe. Thank you. Thanks, Rick. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you guys. Mm -hmm. Happy day.